We're starting a new series this morning called The Apocalypse. <laughs> oh, snap. Yeah, right? You know what? <laughs> Whoa, what's that going to be? We're starting a series called The Apocalypse. Now, depending on your point of reference, you might have a very different idea of what the apocalypse is. Uh, so, for example, um, if you lived in central Alabama in 2014... Uh, you might have an opinion. You, this is the new amen. Just give me a thumbs up. If, you live, if you're online, just give us a thumbs up in the comment section. I lived in central Alabama in 2014. How many of you remember what apocalypse we had? Remember it was snowpocalypse. You remember that? So uh, depending on your point of reference, the apocalypse, you know, might be like a snowstorm. Um, if you follow uh, movies and television, it might be, you know, a movie about a virus that went rogue and created a pandemic like that could ever happen. You know, it could be something like that. And then people turn into zombies and start eating each other. And, you know, there's Mad Max and I'm Legend and uh, all these other dystopian kind of things. And so that could be your point of reference for what an apocalypse is. Um, or, you know, your, your reference of, of apocalypse could be uh, you're having a, a bad day. You know, you spill coffee on yourself. I mean, definitely globally changing tragic things like maybe you're just having a bad day or you didn't get the parking space that you wanted. Maybe to you that's an apocalypse. You know, we've, we've uh, become a fairly dramatic society, and so we've definitely um, learned to dramatize. Have you ever found now when people use the word literally, it's almost never literal? They say, like, that guy's head literally fell off. Literally? No, not literally. <laughs> and so when we use the word apocalypse, it's become a dramatic word that rarely means what it really means. Uh, and so, you know, maybe, uh, maybe in the church world or maybe in some circles like that, you've heard like, if you were around at the time, 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 1988. Somebody forgot to tell Jesus because he, he didn't make it in 88. Maybe uh, Y2K, remember when the, when the computers were going to melt the world? That didn't happen, remember that? That was the computer apocalypse, I guess. Or the ancient Mayan calendar was running out of days or something. I don't know what was happening there. Uh, but none of, that, none of that's really the apocalypse, okay? So depending on your point of reference, the apocalypse could be a snowstorm, it could be the end of the world, or it could be a bad hair day. But actually, none of that is the apocalypse. What is the apocalypse? The word apocalypse means to uncover. It means to reveal. It means to make visible. It means to uncover. It means to reveal. And it means to make visible. Jesus talked about the apocalypse, a apocalypse, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, I've got uh, several scriptures for you this morning, so if you're taking notes, maybe you just want to jot the references down so that you can go back and, and look at them. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, at that time, Jesus said, so this is Jesus talking, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What things is he talking about that were hidden? The things he's talking about is his identity. That Jesus was God's son sent to reveal the Father to the world. You have hidden these things. You have hidden this revelation of God from the wise and intelligent and have, watch this, and have revealed. Do you know what that word revealed is? Apocalypse. You have apocalypsed them to infants. 
Yes, Father, for this, was well, this way was well-pleasing, pleasing in your sight. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Watch this. And anyone to whom the Son will apocalypse him. Anyone who the Son will reveal, uncover, make clear, make, make a clear vision of. So um, Paul the Apostle also had one of these. So an apocalypse is not something that you and I cause. It's not something that you and I can generate through proper study or through effort or because we're looking for it. An apocalypse is something that God does. It's something that Jesus does. He uncovers. He reveals. He makes it clear. And so Paul the Apostle had a dramatic version of this, and he was telling the Galatian church about it in Galatians 1.15. He said, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased, look at this, to reveal his son in me, to apocalypse his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So in this series, we're going to talk about uh, dreams and visions. We're going to talk about uh, how God has given us an apocalypse prayer. We're going to talk about that prayer and how to pray that prayer. We're going to talk about how God has called all believers to apocalypse Jesus to the world, to reveal Jesus to the world. But before we get there today, I just want to start at the very, very beginning and talk about what exactly is, apo is Apocalypse not about, and what is it about? So I'm going to give you three um, simple thoughts this morning, because I, I, there's, you know, in, in, is COVID-19 the apocalypse, you know? Is this pandemic, is that what it is? That's not what it is. And we live in weird and frightening and frustrating times. And so what I want to do is make this as simple as possible so we can kind of cut through the clutter and find Jesus in it, okay? So number one, what is it, what's an apocalypse about? It's not about the end, but the beginning. When, when Paul the apostle was Saul, he was actually a religious leader who was dead set on persecuting Christians. And so what he would do is he would find Christians, these followers of Jesus, he would harass them, persecute them, run them out of town, probably oversaw the death of multiple Christians. On his way to persecute some more Christians, he had an apocalypse. <laughs> he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus apocalypsed himself to him. Jesus revealed himself to him and knocked him off, off to the ground, and he was struck blind for three days. That was not the end of Paul's life, but it was the beginning of the greatest missionary and apostle the world has ever known. So an apocalypse is not the end, it's the beginning. It's, it's not the end, it's the start. So we've got this gloom and doom into the world idea, and Jesus is saying, not at all. That's not how apocalypse works. Jesus told a few parables that really um, expands on this idea when he was on earth. You know, he had many, many parables. Several of them were about the kingdom of God, and most of them started like this. He would say, the kingdom of God is like, 
And here's what two of the things he said it was like. One, he said, the kingdom of God is like yeast that spreads through a whole loaf of dough. So I've never made homemade bread, but I understand if you make it, you get the dough set, you put yeast in it, and you let it set, and the yeast will actually work its way through all the dough, and there won't be any part of that bread that is now uh, untouched by that yeast. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that yeast. So what does that mean? The kingdom of God is not shrinking, it's expanding. It's not declining, it's rising. It's not a sunset, it's a sunrise. It's not an end, it's a beginning. And he told the same idea in another parable. He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest seed. But you plant it, and it makes this great big giant plant. And you say, how could something so wonderful and so large come from something so small? And that's what the kingdom of God is like because the apocalypse is not the end. It's a beginning. Lamentations tells us one of the saddest books in the entire Bible written in one of the saddest time periods ever known. And in Lamentations 3, there's a beautiful little verse that says, Your mercy is new, you know it, every morning. Every morning your mercy is new. Because the kingdom of God is not declining, it's rising. So what's the apocalypse? And the apocalypse is the greater revelation that the kingdom of God is never shrinking, but expanding. Now look. Even if the apocalypse is the end of the world, it's the beginning of eternity. So it's still not the end. It's never the end. So all of this sort of pent-up doom and gloom and fear and all of this. Look, uh, think about it in this term. The saddest moment in world history has to be the moment that Jesus died. Right? But was it the end? Or was it the beginning? How many of you know three days later, resurrection came and it was the beginning of a whole new world and a whole new life? That's how the kingdom of God works. So you don't want to embrace this theology or this thinking that the apocalypse is this this, uh, terrible gloom and doom thing. When God apocalypses you, he's starting something. He's not ending something. So it's it's the beginning, not the end. Number two... It's not about knowing secret details, but it's about knowing Jesus. You've heard the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees, because you're, you're looking at it like this. That was the trouble that some of the religious leaders had in Jesus' time. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. They were upset at Jesus because Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. Now, I want you to think about what that means. They preferred people to suffer with sickness and disease than be healed on Sunday. How, how sad is that? How tragic is that? That you can get so narrow and so rigid in your belief system and in following all the rules that you would rather watch someone be, suffer than, because it's not happening on the day that you think it should happen. <laughs> That's what Jesus was facing with these guys who were the religious leaders. Now, um, Jesus responded to them and said, this healing is God's work. Now, that really made them angry because they thought it can't be God's work because it's happening on the wrong day. And what made them madder than that is when he said, it's God's work who's my father, which was a way of saying God and I are the same. And they lost their mind. 
And they tried to find a way to kill him, and ultimately they did find a way to kill him. But the plan was set in motion. It started right there. That's when there was a break, and they tried to figure out how to kill Jesus. Now, one of Jesus' answers to them in this conversation is John 5, 39. He says, you study the Scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So the religious leaders were using the Bible in a way to try to support uh, and to get greater clarity on their rules. So the, uh, let's say it in a contemporary, they were in a works-based religion. In other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to church, I'm going to you know, I'm going to serve, I'm going to be good, good little boy or girl, I'm not going to do the wrong things, I'm, I'm going to talk right, I'm going to walk right, I'm going to act right, and that's why I'm righteous, because I follow the rules. And, and uh, that's, that's how they were reading the Bible. And so Jesus is saying to them, wait, 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 the scriptures aren't about the rules, the scriptures are about Jesus. And for hundreds of years, the Old Testament's been talking about this incredible Jesus that's coming, and now he's here standing in front of them, and they don't even recognize it. And so I just want to say this to you. When you read the Bible, if you don't find Jesus, you're reading it wrong. If you find something else in those pages other than Jesus, if you don't eventually find Jesus, if you don't eventually see more clearly who Jesus is, you're reading it wrong. You're reading it for some other, other end some other purpose. If you're not careful, your faith can kind of become like a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum, you know, sort of a freak show, uh, distracted by all the things around, the Da Vinci Code, 88 reasons, you know, that Jesus is coming back in 88, weird moons in the sky, a grilled cheese that looks like Mary, the mother of Jesus on her face. Did you hear about that in Nashville in a coffee shop? There was a grilled cheese that had Mary's face on it. Everybody traveled from everywhere to come look at it. Isn't that... It, it, it's almost like um, Freddy Krueger goes Black Friday shopping with Elf on their way to a Christmas Eve party. What? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All these weird peripheral things stuck together. Let me tell you what Jesus said about it, okay? Mark chapter 13, he said, But about that day or hour, no one knows. Watch this. Not even angels. Like the angels aren't even in on it. And he goes a step further and says, nor the Son. When Jesus walked the earth, even he didn't know when his Father would end the world and send him to return. He didn't even know. And so he goes on to say, but only the Father. Like the Father's the only one. Not even the whole Trinity knew. What does that tell us? So the last time Jesus saw his disciples, they asked him about the future, and here's what he said in Acts chapter 1. Look, Jesus basically said this and then ascended to heaven. I mean, there wasn't much more that he said after this. Listen to what he left them with. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I heard somebody say it like this one time, and uh, this has kind of stuck with me, and this applies to a lot of things. The main thing, do you know this, is to keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus. Jesus is the main thing. If your faith isn't about Jesus, then it's not entirely Christian. Because the person of Jesus is what makes Christianity distinct from all other religions, 
on earth. It is his life. It is his teaching. It is his miracles. It is his death. And it is his resurrection. And if your faith isn't about Jesus, then it's some other kind of faith. This is laid out for us so clearly in Hebrews chapter 1. Listen to these three verses. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets. But in these last, you always have people say, it's the last days. Okay, so what are the last days like? In these last days, he has spoken to us, how? By his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Listen to this very important verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So what is he saying to us? God is saying, I have apocalypse the world. I have pulled the curtain back. That's what an apocalypse is. It's like pulling the curtain back. And God is saying, I have pulled the curtain back on myself. How did he pull it back so we could see him? Through Jesus. Everything the Father is can be seen in Jesus' life. And he's saying, I have apocalypsed the world. I have revealed the world. I have pulled the curtain back on God the Father. And the way that you can see him and that you have seen him is that you've seen Jesus. You know, we, we have a, um, like these end time conferences, right? Let's go learn more about the end times, the end time conference. When's it going to end? How's it going to end? Who's going to know when's it? Who's the Antichrist? You know, what nation's going to be the bad nation or the good nation? You know, whatever. Why don't we ever have a conference about Jesus? Like, rather than asking who knows more about the end times or about prophecy or about the future, wonder what would happen if we asked who knows Jesus better? I don't know how we'd find the answer to that because I think the person that actually knows Jesus the best would be the hardest to find because they'd be the most not presumptuous. <laughs> right? They'd be like him because they know him. But you see the difference? Apocalypse is about the revelation of the Father through the Son, Jesus, and the curtain being opened and pulled back. Paul the Apostle had a laser focus on this. In Philippians, he tells us, Philippians 3, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. The apocalypse is pulling the curtain back is when God pulls the curtain back and reveals Jesus to you, watch this, and at the same time reveals to you your need of him. So when you're considering Jesus, you may go, those church people are kind of weird. Or you may think, he's a good guy that lived a long time ago. You're considering, you're thinking, you're thinking about it. My grandmother was a Christian. You know, I, it seemed to do her some good. You're thinking about it. You're considering it. But there comes a moment, there comes a time when the curtains pull back. And you go, wait a minute. He wasn't just a good guy. I need him. My life is void without him. 
That's what an apocalypse is. It's an, it's an opening. So here's the last one this morning. Number three, it's, not about, it's about greater surrender, not greater control. We tend to have this drive for knowledge um, that, is, that is also, I think, driven by our need to control things. We have a need to control things. Why don't you just say that today? I'm a control freak. It'd be incredible for you. Just confess that. Why don't you say, I'm a control freak? I don't think you bought in very well to that at all. But I think we are. And I think our drive to know more things sometimes, there's a good curiosity, but there's also a negative desire to know things because we live under the false assumption that the better we understand something, the better we can control it. And the better we can control it, the happier we'll be. And so our vision of a happy life is oftentimes a life where we have ultimate control. Isn't that what happened in the Garden of Eden? The snake comes along, the serpent comes along, the devil, and says to Adam and Eve, God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because then you will know as much as he does. And you'll be like him. And in their perfect sinless state, the only thing, the hook that got them was God's tricking you. And God's actually insecure. And he doesn't want you to know what he knows because then you'll be just like him. You'll be in charge. And that's the same desire that we have oftentimes is we want to be in control because we think it makes us happier. But the Bible actually teaches us the opposite. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever wants to save their life, do you know this? will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So our misbelief is if I understand or know the future, our craving to know the future, our, our, the, the reason this idea of apocalypse is so tantalizing to us is we live with this false belief that if I know it, I can control it. So uh, a few months ago, uh, I, several of you reached out to me and I'm, I tried to respond to everybody. Maybe I didn't. Um, there was a pastor who put a video online interpreting a dream that he had that said, basically, Russians are going to invade America in October. I don't know how many of you heard, heard that. And I, I, don't, I think he's a good man. I think he's probably a good pastor. I think he had a dream. I think he misinterpreted it. I think his motives are good. But, but here's the issue. You can't tell people in the South that the Russians are coming in October. Because we'll buy every gun for 500 square miles and pack our storm shelters from Sam's Club full of toilet paper and food and milk. Right? You can't tell southern people that. You lost your mind. Tell them somewhere else. You know why? We believe knowing the future gives us more control. Therefore, we want to know exactly when the Russians are coming because, dead gummit, I'm going to buy the biggest gun I can get. And I'm going, to take a, I'm going to take them out. And what do we do? We're back at the zombie apocalypse. Right? It's full circle. But listen, what is the apocalypse? What is, what is it really? It's a revelation of Jesus that calls you towards surrender, not control. Humanists say, we caught God. God is not a real person. God is a construct that weak people made to try to prop themselves up. So it's kind of like, you've seen The Wizard of Oz? You remember when they go to Oz and then Toto or whoever 
pulls the curtain back and you go, oh, it's not really Oz. It's this little, weak little man standing on a stool pulling all the levers. And that's what humanists tend to think about God. That God is this weak little man pulling the levers with a bunch of smoke and mirrors and he's not really real and all of that. But let me tell you what an apocalypse is. An apocalypse is not when the curtain opens and we find out that God's a weak little man pulling the levers. An apocalypse is when God opens the curtain and we find out that we were the weak little man pulling all the levers trying to make it all work. That's what an apocalypse is. And just the opposite of Wizard of Oz, then we find out that God's not the frightening, angry, judgmental, critical God that's just waiting to bash us. But he opens the door and he opens his arms, he opens the curtains and opens his arms and says, Come unto me, all that you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He comes to bring good news, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from fear, freedom from a life of bondage. That's what an apocalypse is. It's God saying, I have revealed myself to you through my son, Jesus. And I want you to, I want you to know him. I want you to know me. That's what an apocalypse is. It's not about control. It's about surrender. Paul the apostle, he struck down to the ground blind for three days. Here's the irony. He couldn't physically see for three days, but it was the first time he ever saw in his life. Because the curtain was open. He had an apocalypse. Now at that moment, was Paul in control? Or was it a moment of surrender? The apostle Peter, Jesus said to him, walk out on the water in the middle of the storm. You're talking about a fisherman who spent his whole life fishing, who was in the middle of a storm so violent, he was afraid of it. That should tell you all you need to know. And Jesus said, perfect, it's a hurricane. Come on out, get out of the boat. Was, was the Apostle Peter in control of that moment? Or was it time to surrender? What about Jesus? He had the authority to reach for greater control from the cross and call 10,000 angels to earth to pull him off the cross and take him to heaven. What did he say? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. It wasn't about control. The apocalypse is not about control. It's not about you getting the details of the future so you didn't have control. It's about surrender. So I got a question for you this morning. Have you surrendered to the apocalypse that you've already had? Do you know more? Do you already know more about Jesus than you're living? <laughs> Have you lived up to the amount the curtain, the how wide the curtain's been stretched open for you. Or you got some room to go. When I was about 15, Jesus gave me an apocalypse. I was uh, just sort of wandering around in life at 2 a.m. in the morning. I knelt in my living room. And uh, I just began to cry and open my hands and say, God, if you're real, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are real, this was my prayer, help me, just help me. And in that moment, what God would brought me to that moment, 
is God apocalypsed me. He pulled the curtain back and he allowed me to see myself without him. And I was so empty. I was so empty. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it until then. Until the curtain came open, I couldn't see it. I didn't know it. And maybe you're here today and you're kind of like I was and you need a new beginning. I've been praying for you that whoever needs an apocalypse, whoever needs the curtain to slide open and for you to see yourself the way that God sees you, loving you but empty. He loved me so much that night. And I surrendered that night to him and said, God, if you're real, help me. And he did help me. And he helped me more and more every day. I wonder, maybe, maybe you're watching online and you're sitting in the living room of your car or listening to this later and you say, I need a new beginning. Today's your day. Would you stand with me this morning and just close your eyes? If you need a new beginning, with every eye closed, would you just lift your hand up so I can see it and say, I need a new beginning. I need a new start with Jesus. I'm, I'm empty and I need him to fill my life. I see your hand. Thank you so much. Just lift your hand. If you're online, just drop in the comment section. I see your hands. I see your hands, both of them. Thank you. I see your hand in the back. Thank you. If you're on, in, online, just drop in the comment section and say, I, I need Jesus. I need a new beginning. Just put, I need a new beginning. And we have a live prayer team there. They've been praying for you and they've been waiting for this moment. And they're going to join you in the comments as we pray together. They're going to start praying for you. I promise you they're going to pray for you. Anybody else, I need a new beginning. If you're online, I need to just go in and say, I need a new beginning. I need a new beginning. Yeah. Every eye closed. If you're online or in the room and you say, I need, I need a revelation. I need Jesus to pull the curtain back. I need to see him today. I need to see him. God, would you apocalypse? Would you pull the curtain back? God, I need a new vision of you. I need to see you again. I need to know you better. God, I long, I long to know you better. I need to be reminded of who you are. Would you just, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I need, God, I need an apocalypse today. I need a I need a revelation of you. Today, if you say, you know what? I need to surrender. Man, that's what this moment's really about. Whether you need a new beginning or you need a revelation or you need, or you, or you haven't surrendered to the part he's already given you. If you need to surrender today, God, there's something in my life. It's fear, it's anger, it's frustration, it's loss. It's a relationship, it's my finances, it's my time, it's uh, uh, the future, it's my dreams, it's my hopes, it's the past. It's that God has called you to something more than you, than you are and you haven't followed yet. Today's the day to surrender. If you're online and that's you, just say, I surrender. Just say, I surrender. If you're in the room, would you just lift your hand and say, I surrender today. Just lift your hand up and say, today I surrender. Today I let it go. As my hand goes in the air, it's my hand to God that says, God, yes, yes. I surrender today. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. In Jesus' name, I'll let it go. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
For all of you that lifted your hand and said, I need a new beginning, let's pray together this morning. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life today. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I ask you to wash away the scars of my old life. God, I pray that you would forgive me and set me in right relationship with the Father. Give me a new beginning today. Thank you for a new beginning. Give me the strength to follow you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And would you give all those people in the room and online who started a new beginning today? Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Well done. Today's a new day.